Welcome to His Church Owensboro Podcast. We are so excited about what God is doing in your life, and we would love to hear from you. Visit us at hischurch.cc and let us know about all of the things that God is doing in your life. If you have been blessed by this podcast and would consider supporting us financially, please visit hischurch.cc and click on Give to see the many options available. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message blesses you. Give the Lord one more hand clap this morning in the house of God. Anybody glad to be at church on Sunday morning? I am. I'm glad to be here. Would you turn to your neighbor just tell them this. Say, you're lucky you got to sit by me again today. And let's give everybody watching online right now a big hand clap for joining us. Henderson Dumas, what's going on? Amarillo, good to see you today. We're glad you're in the house of God. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And I want to take one moment, and I want us all to brag. Uh, our Dumas campus has spent a lot of the summer, Jesse was just talking about it a minute ago, but, but ministering to the different kids in all of our churches. They did a great job here in Owensboro, and they did a great job in Henderson. So let's give all of those volunteers that are watching online, thank you so much for making Jesus famous in Henderson, Kentucky and kids' lives last week and in Amarillo as well, I think the week before. Owensboro, they've been all over the place. I think they were in Belize as well and also at, at I think it's a Lakota uh, reservation. So thank you. Let's give them one more hand clap for their investment into our nation. And our teenagers as well that were ministering and the teams that ministered, it's awesome to see people reach out in power with the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I want us to do this. I want us to pray together, uh, and then we're going to get right into the teaching of the Word of the Lord. But I'm excited. I'm pumped to be back. Jesse and I, we uh, uh, ministered uh, in Hawaii, and then we also had a little vacation. You know, I've always said whenever they call me to preach in Nebraska, I say, I'll pray about it. Whenever they call me to preach in Hawaii, I say, the Lord said yes. The Lord said, the Lord said yes. Amen. And uh, it was good. It's been 18 months of, of hard running uh, for the church and fighting for religious liberty. And it was good to get a few weeks off. And uh, I know we have another fight right around the corner, but I also know that we serve the God of victory. Amen. We serve the God who's already seen, already won, and already prepared. So let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the people under the sound of my voice right now. I pray for them at every location. I thank you that your hand is upon us like it was on Nehemiah. The Bible says the king granted my request according to the good hand of my God upon me. So Father, I thank you that the good hand of God is upon these people. Come on, lift a hand to heaven right now. I declare the good hand of God is on your life. The favor of God is on your life. The blessing of God I declare it's on your life. I say no weapon formed against you will prosper. I, I, I declare that, that the blessing of Abraham, the stars of the sky and the sand of the sea, you have that kind of blessing on your life. You're impossible to curse, anointed to prosper. I, I speak the blessing. Now I declare that we pass every test in Jesus' mighty name. And the church said, Amen. I want to talk to you about that there is a, a test to pass today. There is a test 
to pass today. How many of y'all have ever had something that continued to happen in your life as long as you let it get your goat? You all know what I'm talking about out there? I'll tell you what used to drive me crazy. I used to play a lot of golf before I got into to planting churches, and then I played uh, eight holes in the last two years until I was on vacation. And just let me brag on my golf for a moment. I hadn't hit a golf ball forever. Now, I went and played golf with a bunch of guys I didn't even know in Oahu, and I was playing with rental clubs, and on the front nine, I shot a 41. That's pretty good to not play in two years, man. I told them I don't even know if I'll be able to hit the ball, and you actually commented on my beautiful swing. You told me Charles Barkley wanted his swing back. Now I resent that. I just, I'm, I'm angry. I'm working my way through that right now. Now, I have an ugly homegrown swing, but it doesn't matter if you can hit the ball. <laughs> so it is hideous. Don't try to swing the way I swing. Uh, but, but I remember as a younger guy, I would get so ticked off. You know, if somebody hits a golf ball into your group, if you hit a man with a golf ball, I mean, you can literally kill a man with a golf ball. You ever picked one of those up and looked at them? And so you're trained if you play golf from the time you're a little kid you don't hit into the group in front of you. Because if you hit one of them, you can really injure them. And if you get close to hitting them and don't kill them, they can come back and injure you because of what you've done, right? And so it's like you don't hit into them. Now, it happens in golf. You hit an errant shot, and you're supposed to scream four, right, when a ball's going into another group. It's an act of courtesy. It's, it's, it's a gentleman's move, so you always scream four. Uh, but, but, like, when people would hit into me, it was all I could do to stay Christian. Now, I know all of you are saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit. You hadn't cussed in 20-something years. But I'm preaching to the people down at the Methodist Church that are watching online right now. I'm preaching to y'all. And uh, people would hit into me years ago, and I would just lose my mind. I mean, literally. Sometimes I would hit the ball back at them uh, as a pastor, right? I just tee it back up and hit it right back at them kind of a deal. Uh, I, I can remember losing my mind. And I, I'd play a lot of golf with uh, Bob Mannion, when I first came to town. Come on, we're praying for Bob right now. We sent the word to every campus. Come on, let's just, let's say this. Say, be healed, Bob, in Jesus' name. Be healed, Bob. Uh, we, we send the word, and we declare you're delivered from your destruction in Jesus' name. And Bob, in a, in a lot of ways, uh, mentored a lot of us and stuff like this. He was older than us. We're in our 20s and early 30s and, you know, still doing 20-year-old kind of guy stuff. And, and I remember him taking me to the side and saying to me, Bob said to me, Brian, you know, ev almost every time I play golf with you, somebody hits into you. Almost every time. It, it really was crazy. It happened all the time. He said, do you think, son, maybe they keep hitting into you because you keep blowing your top? And if you wouldn't blow your top when somebody hit into you, maybe you would pass that test and go to a new one in life? How many of y'all think that sounds like wisdom out there? Come on, if you can pass the test. And so I was with him, and somebody hit into me the next time, and I said, I'm not blowing my top. I just went on, and that kind of thing just stopped happening in my life because it couldn't get me in the flesh anymore. See that? There's a test to be passed. Now, there's a difference between a test and a temptation, and that's for another sermon. But I want to take you literally to Jesus has to be tempted this is his test as the Messiah, to, to, to really enter into everything he's called to be so that he could redeem us from our sins. How many are thankful that Jesus overcame temptation and delivered us? Come on, at every campus, give him, give him the highest praise. He overcame temptation, delivered us, passed the test. 
Now I'm not tethered to death, hell, or the grave anymore. Open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. We'll begin reading in verse, verse 1. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Here, here's what it says, Luke 4, verse 1. It says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. It's wild. The Spirit of God led him to where the devil would be to tempt him because he's going to have to overcome this temptation to enter into the, the ministry of Messiah. And in those days, um, he ate nothing. And afterward, when they, they had ended, he was hungry. I bet he was. Verse 3, And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and, and their glory. For this has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Look at that. It's over. He leaves, but he departs until what, church? He's always looking for an opportunity. So Jesus comes out of his baptism. Spirit of God comes upon him. Then the Spirit of the Lord leads him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Who would have thought that the Spirit of the Lord would lead you somewhere where the devil might be? But for him to go and become everything he was called to be, he'd have to face the devil and every primary type of temptation that comes against man so that he could redeem us from everything that would tempt him. So Jesus is in the wilderness. He's fasting 40 days. There's power that comes, right, from a fast time of fasting and a time of prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for the power of prayer and fasting in this church and in our lives. It's set us up for so much uh, spiritual success. Now, thank God and us prepared for some of the toughest times in life. 40 days, he's, he's been out there in the wilderness, and he's in a weakened state, uh, not eating for 40 days. I, the, I've never went 40 days. I hadn't done a 40-day fast. Long as I've done is 21. I've got friends that have done 40, and at the end of them, they, they worked with me. They were so useless at the end of 40 days. I'm like, why don't you just go home? Because your, your brain power's gone. You know, they're just kind of a shell of the person they once were. But what you give up in the physical, you're gaining in the spiritual realm. And at the end of the 40 days, here comes the devil. The devil points at, at, at a stone. And he says, if you really are the son of God, all right, starts questioning his identity. It's one of the first things the devil will do to keep you off your game. And the, and the test of identity is a massive test that every man, every woman has to pass in life. Who you see yourself to be who you know God's created you to be. 
Telling you, the devil's going to come and say, has God really called you? Are you really a child of God? Are you really a Christian? Are are you really uh, capable of leading someone to Jesus? Are you really capable of raising a family, right? Always coming after the identity. So the devil wants to create an identity crisis in each and every one of us. That's what he's trying to do in Jesus right now. If he can mess up his identity, make him think, well, I'm I'm not really the son of God. I'm just some guy. Maybe, maybe, maybe people have told me that. It was prophesied to me. Maybe they were all nuts. Maybe that's not right. You know, maybe, 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 maybe I'm not who they say they are. I am. But he says, if you really are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. What are they, what, what's the devil trying to get him to do right now? The devil's trying to get him, number one, to question who he is, but number two, to use his divine authority for something he was never created to use it for. Turn it into bread, simply to feed the flesh. You could look at that from a humanitarian standpoint and say, wow, if he would just turn stones into bread, he could feed the world. He could end world hunger with something like that. Yeah, he could could fill people's bellies but leave their souls empty if he falls into that temptation. Jesus answers Thank God he answers with the word of the living God. Whenever you're tempted, whenever the devil's coming after you, whenever there's a test you've been failing, come on, what you need to learn to do is you need to answer with the word of the living God. Say, it is written. Jesus says, it is written. Come on, somebody say, it is written out there. It is, it is written. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Whenever Jesus answers the devil with the word of God, he overcomes the temptation. Come on, we need to learn to answer the devil with the word of the living God. Life and death are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it, they'll eat the fruit thereof. What we say is what we'll have in life. What you say, you begin to believe, you begin to act on, it begins to become every part of your life. I don't know about you, but I want to get the right words in my mouth so I have the right lifestyle coming out of my heart, so I have the right victory and the right righteousness and the right way of walking and living. It is written, is what he said. See, what he's overcoming now, John said that, that that's all that's in the world, really it's every type of sin, John said the the first one was the lust of the flesh. Everybody say the lust of the flesh. Jesus is overcoming the lust of the flesh. It's what the flesh desires. When I talk about the flesh, I'm talking about our sinful human nature. Not just talking about your body necessarily, although that's a part of it, but it's more than just that. It's your sinful human nature. It's what the flesh craves this point, Jesus hadn't eaten for 40 days. He's obviously craving food. Food's not a sinful thing to crave. But in this context, to get it this way would be wrong. Jesus has to overcome the lust of the flesh. Lust of the flesh is wanting something that isn't yours to have in that season or in that time. Right? It's not even necessarily that what you want is bad. Maybe it's out of season or out of time. And this is a pretty obvious illustration, but come on, think about a sex drive. Sex drive kicks in pretty early in life. You're single and ready to mingle pretty young in life, right? It's the way it works. It's not that you want something that's bad or something that's evil. You want something that's human. But if you take it outside of the right context and outside of the right time, 
How many understand that it can be deadly and it can destroy? And right now, if the lust of the flesh isn't being pushed upon our teenagers and children all the way down to five and six-year-olds in our culture, take it right now outside of divine design and outside of the way God wants it. They'll, they'll even teach you about it in school, in certain school districts, right? This tall, feeding the lust of the flesh. What happens when that thing fully manifests and grows up? it's been fed from five years old. Come on, we better teach our kids. Whenever the devil comes and says, turn this stone into bread that you can eat and be fulfilled, we better teach them to answer with, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth forth from the mouth of the living God. Can I get an amen out there? Right? So Jesus passes the first test, lust of the flesh. Then, then they, they, the devil takes him up to the Mount of Temptation, takes him. Now we're talking about the lust of, of the eyes. And he shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a second. They say he shows him this. The traditional location is in uh, outside of Jericho, which is in the Palestinian Authority. I was there a few years ago. And there, there's a mount. They call it the Mount of Temptation. I don't know if that's it or not, but that's what they say, right? It's pretty ugly looking ground around there. I'd have found a prettier mountain to show Jesus if I was going to try to tempt him than this one. And um, Jesus is taken up on one of these mountains by the devil. And it's a supernatural experience because he shows him all the kingdoms of the earth in a moment. Somehow, you know, the devil is the prince of the power of the air. The Bible says the heavens of the heavens is the Lord's, but the earth he has given unto the sons of men. The heaven of the heavens is the Lord's, but the earth he's given unto the sons of men. It's like God created the heavens, but he gave the earth as a lease unto us. And what did we do in the garden? We took our rights our lease on the earth, the earth is given to the sons of men. And then we sublet this earth to the devil whenever we broke our contract with God, native of the tree in the center of the garden. So now the earth doesn't wholly belong to man. So we gave it to the devil. That's why there's now death in the earth. That's why there's now what people call acts of God are actually fallen world system, this earth quaking and trembling under the weight of sin. Do you understand that? What they call an act of God is not an act of God. It's really an extension of sin. Can I get an amen out there? That's why, that's why the tornado comes through, wipes out the town now, right? Extension of sin. And um, not saying God can never act some way like that, but typically it's just a fallen world incident. That's what I'm saying. People want to pin those on God all, all of the time. So, so the devil has this authority. Jesus doesn't refute it. It's interesting, right? Because you would think Jesus would speak up to the devil and say, devil, you don't have the authority to give me the kingdoms of this earth. Jesus knew that he did. By the way, if you think the devil doesn't have his hand today in the kingdoms of this earth, you are deceived to the max. And if you think the devil isn't putting together a one-world government right now, right under our nose, right before our very eyes, to try to take this world and put it under his control and to come against people that believe like you, you're deceived right now. Jesus doesn't refute his authority to do this. 
As a matter of fact, that's what we're looking at right now. That's why your freedoms are being taken again and again and again. That's why more lockdowns are coming. That's why more mandates are coming. That's why forced vaccines are coming. And I'm going to tell you, you can tell Governor Bashir, you can tell every politician in America, this church will never receive another mass mandate. We'll never take a vaccination mandate. We will never close the doors of the church again. You can come and arrest me. You can kill me. You can crucify me. I will not bow my knee to a one world government. I will bow my knee to Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So if you want it, come and take it. That's what I have to say. Listen, you're going to have to realize the hour is evil. And if you don't think the hour is evil, there's a sheep farm somewhere down the road you can live on. But I don't intend to live like that. So the, the, the devil shows up, says to Jesus, all of this, all of this can be yours. If you want it, come and come and Bow before me. Just sell a little bit of who you are. Sell a little bit of your authority. A little bit of your freedom. Just, just, just for a moment. Just compromise. Just compromise just a little, just a little bit. Come on, can't you bow your knee? Can't you give in just a just a little bit? You don't have to be so radical. Just bow that knee just for a moment. All of this will be yours. You'll be comfortable. You'll have what you want. You, you, whatever you need. And now, whatever I just said about the vaccine, believe what you want to about that. I'm talking about your choice and not government forcing something on you. Just to make myself clear. I'm not anti-vax. I've had multiple vaccinations. But I'm not going to let the government force something onto me or onto the people I lead or onto the church. Not going to happen under my watch. I will resist. So it's it's bow your knee just a little. We'll give you we'll give you all of this. That's been sold again and again and again and again and again and again throughout the eons of history. Again and again, same play. And Jesus answers and he says, "It is written." Come on, somebody say, "It is written." He says, "It it is it is written that." I'll worship the Lord alone. Nope, nobody else. So then he passes that second temptation, which is the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes is wanting everything you see, whether it rightfully belongs to you or not. I, I remember hearing my granddad say years ago, just kidding around, my, my grandpa went to heaven yesterday at 1 o'clock. So 93 years of age is a pretty good run. I'm thankful to have had a grandpa for 93 years on this earth. Come on, that that's, what's that, Jesse? Two days ago. Oh, time's running together for me right now. Two days ago. All right, so, so uh, we'll bury him tomorrow. But I remember him saying that the only ground that a man ever really needs is whatever attaches to it. Right, if you have a farm, the only ground you need is whatever attaches to you. So what attaches to you eventually? Everything, right? That is the lust of the eyes. I don't just need my farm, I need my neighbor's farm. I need his neighbor's farm. I need the next person's farm. And people want more and more and more. The lust of the eyes. Jesus conquers that. The lust of the eyes. And there's nothing wrong with having possession. 
I pray that you all have an abundance for every good work. I pray that the Lord would increase you more and more. I pray that you would prosper, succeed, and achieve. But how many know at some point enough has to be enough, right? Jesus says, I'll only worship the Lord. And so then he has to pass the last test. The devil takes him up into the center of Jerusalem. Now I want you to think about this. I used to think about the center of Jerusalem and the pinnacle of the temple. It, it, of it being like the devil took him there during an empty time, an empty street. But the center of Jerusalem around the temple would never be empty. There are always people there. Almost, almost always surrounded with people. Maybe except in the lockdown would have been the only time you might have found an empty street in Jerusalem. Still there's going to be action around the temple. There must be. So there's always somebody watching. The devil has Jesus up on the pinnacle of the temple. And he says, if you are who you think you are, cast yourself off of this temple. And the Bible says angels will hold you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. You ever notice the devil's pretty good at quoting scripture? He's, he's seen a lot of the scripture. But he'll manipulate it, he'll twist it, he'll spin it just a little bit. A little spin on it, right? A little English on it. So it says, Here, here's, here's what you do. Cast yourself off the pinnacle of this temple. And God will hold you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. Well, what would have happened if Jesus would have cast himself off the temple? And angels grab a hold of him and take him slowly to the ground. And all the eyes around would see him for what he really was. They would know he is Messiah. And they would almost violate their free will. It would be such an overt act of the miraculous where those people would have to worship him as God. Have you recognized yet that our God does not want robots who are forced to worship him, but he wants people who freely want to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords, people who are really for him? That's why I wouldn't let this happen. That's why God didn't create you to be a robot. God created you with a choice to receive him or reject him. Doesn't matter. You, you, get, a, you get a choice, free will, to receive him. He died for the entire world. God so loved, loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him might not perish but have everlasting life. But you can receive that gift or you can reject that gift. And so Jesus answers, tells the devil, it is written. Come on, somebody say, it is written. He might have said, I've heard it said, but he's saying the same thing. It is written, you should not tempt the Lord your God. He overcomes the last type of sin here, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and then the pride of life. Wouldn't it be an act of pride to jump off of the temple for no good reason, just so angels could grab a hold of you and lower you to the earth slowly? And he says, I'm not doing that either. See, it would be a prideful action. See, here's, here's the deal. He says all of that, and he passes this temptation. And at that point, the devil leaves the scripture says that he leaves for a season that he might return at a more opportune time. Here's what I know about the devil. The devil's always looking for an opportunity to return. Why? Because the same things remain appealing to men, remains appealing to women. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. You get over it one time, you'll face it again. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Get over it again, you'll face it again. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, 
the pride of life. All of these things are in there. You better watch. You better, better know what it is, that it's coming, it's coming after you. And here's when I think we're the most susceptible to these types of things. If you're taking notes, you ought to, you ought to write these things down. I think, I think this is when we are the most susceptible to these types of things. No, number one, we're, we're the most susceptible to these types of things when we're tired, when we're weary. We violated all the principles of rest, right? There are some people that haven't worked enough. A lot of America doesn't work anymore, right? We've seen that. There's help-wanted posters everywhere. Some places they'll pay you 500 bucks just to show up and interview. I thought about becoming a professional interviewer. Can I interview again tomorrow? I'll take your 500 every day, right? I'll be back tomorrow. Say, I don't want the job. I just want the 500, right? Um, some of the people, if you'll work a full day, they'll give you big money at the end of the first full day. And you see these signs in cities all over America. People, people don't want to work anymore because we created a monster when we sent everybody home and kept paying them anyway. And we destroyed the economy and destroyed small business. And we had the largest transfer of wealth at one time there's ever been in the history of America. And do you know where it went from? It went from the middle class to the ruling class. Trillions of dollars. Do you think that might have been by design? Because if we can empty your wallets, we can get you to do whatever we want you to do. It's the oldest Marxist play in the handbook. So, so the first way to really get you messed up, there are some people that won't work at all. And this message is not for them. There are some of you that work all the time. This is for you, all right? Workaholic types. God worked six days, and on the seventh day, what did he do? He rested, right? There's a safety in that. And some people think that I've thought at times that, that I could work around the clock smarter than God, right? Get more done. But you get weary, you become more susceptible to stuff. How many of y'all recognize mountains look larger when you're, when you're sleepy? Problems seem more difficult late at night, don't they? Midnight stuff seems worse than it does at 8 a.m. Why? Because weariness has a way of doing something to make you susceptible to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. The devil will come at that opportune time. Second time I think we're more susceptible is when we've allowed offense into our lives. When we're offended, can't believe he said that. Can't believe she said that. Can't believe they did that. After all I've done for them, this is what they do in return. Boy, you are set up like a bowling pin when that enters into your spirit. And if you'll, if you'll embrace a spirit of offense, sometimes we even take an offense from somebody else. Didn't even happen to us. We just heard about it from, a, from another person. We weren't even an eyewitness. You know, the Bible says do not bear false witness. Doesn't mean lie. It means you're telling a story that you didn't see with your own eye. Recount it as though you saw it. It's pretty much what the media industry does every day, all day long. They tell a story they didn't see. 
bear false witness to the world. You ever thought about that? It's bearing false witness. Offense. I hear it from somebody else. Now I'm offended about it. Whenever I'm offended, my world becomes the devil's playground. It just does. I've watched it in church. I've, I've watched it make people walk out the doors. They get offended because they think somebody said something they didn't say, or maybe they did. Who cares? People are going to say all kinds of stuff about you. Have you recognized that yet in life? Are we adult enough to know that there are no perfect people and they're going to do stuff, they're going to say stuff, they're going to be immature, things are going to happen, but in the big boy and big girl world, you put your boots on, you pull your pants up, and you roll on, and you play the man, you play the woman. You don't act like a child anymore, amen? When you do that, you, you protect yourself from the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I really believe you do. There's a shield. There's a shield that comes around you. There really is. So I think, I think you got to watch yourself when you're weary. you got to watch yourself when you're offended. Then you have to watch yourself during times of great loss. Times of great loss. And I'm against times of great loss. Can I get an amen out there? I'm against them, right? Don't like them at all. I'm for times of great gain. That's what I like. I like blessing. I like increase. I like things to go up. But how many know to get to a mountain, there's going to be a valley eventually? We live in a fallen world. And sometimes things are just lost in life. Nobody intended for it to happen. Doesn't make sense. Can't figure it out. Can ask God why. He's not obligated to answer me. There are times of loss. And um, the adult thing you do is even when you don't understand, you trust him anyway because you know he is good. His nature is good. His word is promised he's good. He has never let us down, and he's not going to begin today. Can I get an amen out there? And if you look at it like that, you look at it like that, get that in your spirit, get that in your heart. Doesn't matter what I've lost, right? I'm not going to let the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, pride of life, Take the best from me. So that's what it does. It, it, it takes, sin takes the best from you. God never intended that to have you. He intended you to have the best from his word, his spirit, and his kingdom. Can I get an amen out there? Just stand up on your feet with me. Come on, come on, let's give God, let's give God the biggest hand clap. Can we give him, let's give him, let's give him the biggest hand clap. He's gonna, he overcame. Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And he's helping you overcome it, me overcome it right now. I want to I pray a steadfastness into each and every one of us is what I want to do. I want to pray a steadfastness into us. Now, I want to pray, um, pray for a divine burst of energy and renewal. That's what I want to pray into every congregation right now. We're coming up to the fall. We're coming up to harvest. How many of y'all believe God wants to use us to save souls again? God wants to use us to win the lost. Can I, can I get, God wants to use us to usher revival into America. I believe that. We're going to have to actively get in the game to have that. Come on, lift a hand to heaven right there. Father, I thank you that, that you have overcome the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Jesus, I know you did it. You did it for me. The Bible says that you were tempted in every point just like, like we would be tempted, but that you never failed. 
So right now, I thank you that you give us the grace, you give us the faith and the ability. Father, to not fail even as you didn't fail. I believe the grace of God is flowing. I believe a divine strength, a divine renewal is coming into the people in every campus right now. I pray you're lifting them with your mighty right hand. I thank you, Father, that you work a great work in our midst. Cause the ears of those to hear about it to tingle. I thank you, Father, that we're overcoming, that we're breaking through tests. We're going through tests. We're going through tests so we can go to the next chapter in life. Father, I bless these, my brothers and sisters. I thank you for them. I pray you use them exceedingly, abundantly, above all we could ask, think, or imagine. Father, work a great work, work a great work, work a great work. I pray, oh God, I bless these people. Now thank you because it is written, it is finished. In Jesus' mighty, mighty name, and the church said, Amen. Come on, let's give God the highest praise.